seen Jacob on his way back home, and uh, he's pretty spooked by the fact that Esau is coming with 400 men, and we went through a lot of things that he did, and his uh, clinging to the Lord to bless him, because he's really frightened about Esau coming, but it turns out that Esau has brought the men to welcome him and to be an escort for him, and all that Jacob had done, you know, the extravagant lengths he's gone to in uh, giving all these presents and so forth were probably really unnecessary, but he urges Esau to go ahead and keep the gifts. He's relieved. Can you imagine how relieved he is that he's still alive, you know? And so are his uh, children and wives and so forth. So, but now the question is, what's he going to do? He's back to this encounter with Esau, but where's he going to go, and how is this going to work itself out? And that's what we're going to see here. So, somebody want to read chapter 33, verses 12 to 20. Then Esau said, Let us take our journey and go, and I will go before you. But he said to him, My Lord knows that the children are frail, and that the flocks and herds which are nursing are a care to me. And if they are driven hard one day, all the flocks will die. Please let my Lord pass on before his servant, and I will proceed at my leisure according to the pace of the cattle that are before me, and according to the pace of the children, until I come to my Lord at Seir. Esau said, Please let me leave with you some of the people who are with me. But he said, What need is there? Let me find favor in the sight of my Lord. So Esau returned that day on his way to Seir. Jacob journeyed to Succoth and built for himself a house, and made booths for his livestock. Therefore the place is named Sakaf. Now Jacob came safely to the city of Shechem, which is in the land of Canaan, when he came from Paden Aram, and camped before the city. He bought the piece of land where he had pitched his tent from the hand of the sons of Hamar, Shechem's father, for one hundred pieces of money. Then he erected there an altar, and called it, El Elohi Israel. So, the question is, you know, first of all, is Esau going to accompany Jacob? Esau's wanting to do that, but what's Jacob's feeling about that, or at least what does he say? We have to go really slow. Yeah, you know, I've got my children, the flocks, and all that, and I can't really go that fast, and... And, you know, you just go on, and I'll, I'll be along later, you know, when I can get there. And Esau said, well, let me leave some men to, to escort you. And what does Jacob say to that? No need. No, I don't need that. Go on. Now, the rest of this is Jacob's journeying into the land. There are a couple of question marks that I have as I see what Jacob does here. Where does he go first? Second. And from there to? Shechem. Now, do you have any question marks about where Jacob has gone here? Or maybe I should say where he has not gone? It doesn't appear to have gone to where Esau lives. Yeah, I thought he was going to accompany Esau, I thought he was implying that he was going to go to where Esau was. Did he? And it's not recorded? Or did he let Esau think he was and he goes some other direction? Well, I, you know, I had not thought that before, but he, in verse 14 he talks about until I come to my Lord. That's seer. Exactly. Huh? So it's, you know, what I really think, but I'm not sure, is that he was being deceptive again. Okay. You know? That maybe he didn't trust Esau. He didn't want to be that close to him. Decided to strike out his own way. And, and that that would be a good reason for him not to want Esau or even Esau's men to accompany him if he's not really intending to go there. Now that could, there could be an unrecorded <laughs> visit, but you sure don't see it in the text. And it's certainly true that we often battle the same spiritual problems. I mean, you know, one of the things that's, that's you know, disturbing sometimes is 
you know, you, you repent of something, you really turn away from it, you're going to do what's right, and you turn around and the next thing you know, what did you just do? The same thing you said you weren't going to do. So that's kind of what I lean toward, I'm not sure. Do you have some thoughts and comments on that? Where was Seir? Well, it would have been where we would call Edom, stands to reason. They're on the, you know, east side uh, of, the, of the Dead Sea. So, yes, yeah, south southeast. Of, south of the right. Dead Sea. And right. then Hayden Aram is Was north. way north. Okay. Yeah, so he's come down, but it looks like he crosses he, into the land instead of coming on down to Mount Seir. Because could. Shechem would be on across the Jordan River okay. into the land, in the middle part of the land there. Shechem was in between Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim. Because I was just thinking that, you know, maybe it was on the way, but it's not. It's really not. Yeah, it doesn't look it to me like it's It never quite gets all the way down to... Right. Exactly. That's what it looks to me like. While you're, while you're thinking about that one, is there anything else that's troubling you about where he went or perhaps where he didn't go? He didn't go to Bethel yet. Yes, what about that? What, why would you have said that, Logan? Because he said that the Lord was going to be his Lord when he got back there safely. Yes, that was chapter 28 when you know he was fleeing from Esau, going to pay Naram. He, he falls asleep on the rock and the Lord shows him the vision with the angels going up and down that ladder and one thing and another. And, and Jacob more or less makes an agreement with God if God will be with him and take care of him, when he, then I return, then the Lord will be my God, and this stone will be God's house, and I'll give you a tenth. So I got the impression that he would go right back to Bethel and give a tenth and, you know, let this be God's house for him when he got back, and he doesn't go there either. Now, as you're looking at that one, I think I'm right about that. Look at chapter 35 and verse 1. Is that sort of an indication that the Lord thought he should have gone back to Bethel? The Lord tells him to. <clears throat> and reminds him about the fact that he'd appeared to him when he was fleeing from Esau. So I'm guessing that he probably was supposed to have, you know, and didn't right then. So it looks to me like he deceptively doesn't go to Mount Seir. And he doesn't fulfill yet his bargain to go to God in Bethel. And he ends up going where he wants to, to Shechem. So should he have gone to Bethel instead of going with Esau? Maybe, but he should have been honest with Esau. Right. I agree, but so like he should have told Esau that I have to go to Bethel. I could have seen that one. But after all, you don't want to aggravate the brother you're, you know, <laughs> who could be upset with you. He's got 400 men with him. So you tell him, oh yeah, I'll be along. But then he doesn't even and then he doesn't even go to Bethel. He goes to Shechem. That's what it looks to me like. Now, if I'm right about that, I know I'm, I'm making a couple of assumptions. I'm not absolutely sure about those. But if we're right about that, well, he wouldn't have been in Shechem at all. And chapter 34 would have never happened. Could chapter 34, which is not a good incident in the life of this family, been avoided if he'd have done the things he was supposed to have done? Sometimes that's true. Whether that's true in this case or not, that is true in our lives. Sometimes some of the terrible things that have happened to us wouldn't have happened if we'd have been where God wanted us to be when he wanted us to be. You know, sometimes you just avoid problems when you do the right thing. And... You know, I think that's the case here in Jacob's life. Thoughts and comments, or disagreements even. Well, he settles down some because he built a house in Succoth. Yeah. Made boots to, for his livestock. Yes, you're right. So Succoth, he stays for a while, and then moves on to Shechem. So it looks like he has spent some time. You know, this is not like he's just stopping by there on his way to Bethel or something like that. He's settling in. And then when he gets to Shechem, it looks like he just pitches a tent again. Yeah. But he buys land. But he buys land. Yeah. 
So, I, it, I mean, I kind of have thought that his intention was just to stay put in Shechem. If it hadn't been for some other things, God speaking to him and the tragedies that occurred there in Shechem. Other thoughts? Because he came safely to the city of Shechem. Mm-hmm. I wonder if that's a <laughs> indication of things to come, or <laughs> <laughs> maybe that's an interesting comment, isn't it? Why is it? Why would it be noted? Yeah, he made it there safely. Yeah. <laughs> well, he make it out safely. Yeah, he, how far had he just traveled, and there wasn't, you know, it was all <laughs> safely. But it indicates that he got to Shechem safely, but things will soon turn. Yeah, good good observation. Other thoughts? Maybe something happened in Soka and he was getting out of there. He was, uh, seemed to be staying there, too. Uh, yeah, good point. I don't know why he didn't just stay in Succoth, <coughs> why he moved on to Shechem, I don't know. We don't know how long he stayed in. I don't. In either place, for that matter. Other thoughts? Well, we've got Shechem now, and wow, this is uh, quite a story. Um, let's start with chapter 34, verses 1 to 7. Now Dinah, the daughter of Leah, whom he, she had born to Jacob, went out to visit the daughters of the land. When Shechem, the son of Hamor, the Hivite, the prince of the land, saw her, he, told her, he took her and lay with her by force. He was deeply attracted to Dinah, the daughter of Jacob, and he loved the girl and spoke tenderly to her. So Shechem spoke to his father Hamor, saying, Give me this young girl for a wife. Now Jacob heard that he had defiled Dinah, his daughter, but his sons were with his livestock in the field. So Jacob kept silent until they came in. Then Hamor, the father of Shechem, went out to Jacob to speak with him. Now the sons of Jacob came in from the field when the, they heard it, and the men were grieved, and they were very angry, because he had done a disgraceful thing in Israel, by lying with Jacob's daughter, for such a thing ought not to be done. So, he's moved to Shechem. Dinah goes out to visit the daughters of the land, and this begins one of the worst chapters in the Bible. Wow, there is a lot of bad stuff that goes on in this chapter. And there's something missing from this chapter. In 33.20, they call the altar El Elohi Israel, Israel God, the God of Israel. And in 35.1, then God said to Jacob, so right before chapter 34 and right after God is mentioned, but in chapter 34, you won't find God's name at all. And I think that's because of what goes on here. <laughs> it doesn't, they're not thinking about the Lord and all this stuff. She probably shouldn't have gone out to the daughters of the land to visit. Not sure what all she had in mind with that or what all she did. But while she's out there, Shechem, who's the crown prince of that area, saw her took her and raped her. Now, does that remind you of other things in Genesis? Eve. Eve saw the fruit and took the fruit and ate the fruit. And what else does it remind you of in Genesis? Abimelech and what? Sarah. Yes. He saw what was going on and took her. Saw her and took her. The sons of God. The sons of God. Daughters of men and took them. Yes. Genesis 6. That's good. And uh, so, you know how sin is. It's progressive. You know, first the desire and that grows into the action. And we've really got to watch what we see. You know, because our eyes lead us to act improperly. That's what happened. Remarkably, because this isn't always the way that works, once he violates her, he still actually wants her. You know, when it was Amnon, he didn't want her after he had her. But he wants her, spoke tenderly to her, and he talked to his father. 
and says, I really want her as a wife. Can we get her? Meanwhile, Jacob hears about this. And what does he do? He's mad. Yeah, what does he do? Nothing at first. He doesn't really do anything. Now, I don't know how mad he was. Does it say he was angry? Mm -mm. Who was angry? His sons. Now, you would think Jacob would be angry. In fact, I don't know. I mean, you can imagine if you don't have one, if you had a daughter and somebody took her by force, wouldn't you be upset? Wouldn't you do something about it? Would you just say, well, I'm just not going to say anything. (laughs) That just doesn't seem quite normal, do you think? Maybe he knew his sons were going to get angry, so he just waited for them to Let them do his dirty work? Yeah, maybe. But that seems like... I'm wondering if because his sons, which would be the bulk of his protection, were out in the field, he's not going to start something. <laughs> uh, I mean, a little bit of fear there that, you know, if he... How, how old is he now? Uh, I mean... Yeah. We know he lives forever, but, um, <laughs> you know, if he starts something, he doesn't have the manpower there to finish it. Okay, that's what that, that could be. You haven't come up with what strikes me. I may be wrong, though. Those are, those are reasonable answers. Look at verse, yeah, Clint. I was just going to say, thinking about what you had mentioned, you know, maybe the guilt is kind of weighing on him from not going to Bethel and maybe deceiving his brother and just well maybe this is not my place to yeah. be involved here but anyway, go ahead. look at verse 1 yeah that's what I think it's only Leah's daughter I don't think he would have felt that way about if Rachel had a daughter you know I mean later on there'll be a time when he'd sent the ten down to Egypt, and they come back, and they say, Benjamin will have to go with us next time. And he says, oh, my son will not go to Egypt. He just sent 10 of them. (laughs) But my son won't go. He kind of, you know, de-sons the others (laughs) by saying it that way. So I wonder if he's just kind of passive when it comes to Leah's children. Ah, that may be too harsh toward him. Uh, but I, I think that's possible. At any rate, when the brothers hear, ooh, they are upset. And remember how many full-blooded brothers Dinah would have? Six. He, she would have six. Because six of the twelve come from Leah. Including the oldest four, perhaps. A little hard to know how all that fits in. But. Thoughts and comments on those first seven verses? Yeah, Wood cast. Sorry, yes. Okay. I got two things. Um, number one, seeing something isn't the problem. David saw Bathsheba. That wasn't the problem. The problem was when he looked. Um, right. So I think that, that when we see something, that's not the sin. And what we need to do is automatically turn away. Um, but I f- think we find ourselves, you know, using that as an excuse to say, well, I just saw it. That's that's all I did, you know. It wasn't my fault, I just saw it. And we use, almost use that as an excuse. Um, and the second thing I want to... S- the second thing I want to say is I find it kind of kind of sad that in verse... Uh, hold on. Verse... Verse 3, he said, His soul was strongly attached to Dinah. Dinah, the daughter of Jacob, and he loved the young woman and spoke kindly to the young woman. Well, if he spoke tenderly to her and loved her, then why would he rape her? I mean, that doesn't show much about how much he cares for her if he's doing something to her that clearly is inappropriate. So, and it kind of struck me as weird that he says he cares for her, and yet, before. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. That, yeah. I don't know. That's just kind Obviously, of he didn't in every sense of the word because he didn't really treat her right before. Though I think he has feelings for her and he really wants her as his wife. Larry? Um, you know, I hadn't thought about what you said about Ben, Donna being Leah's daughter. And that's a good point. 
would it be possible that, because later in the text, uh, Jacob will say, you've made me stink among the people of the land. And then chapter 35, verse 5, talks about the fear of the Lord being on the people. Was it possible that, that Jacob was afraid of, that he was outnumbered and maybe kept silent because? I mean, it's just a thought. It, certainly, that's possible. I mean, after all, Shechem's the crown prince. Sure. So, you know, you would think that, you know, and and he has been fearful before in various situations. So I think that, that certainly... And maybe there's more than one factor involved, sure. but that, that may very well be a factor. Well, he may be anticipating the anger of his sons. Yeah, he, he may recognize that they're... But he wasn't too thrilled with what they did later. At least yeah. he didn't. He said he wasn't. Maybe he was hoping they never found out. I, mean, I don't know. And he didn't I, think, I guess either. the thing that's strange to me about this is that Dinah doesn't seem to have any word in this at all. I know. Well, that's part of the culture, too. <laughs> it isn't is. it? I, I mean, the, that's the reason I don't Kind understand. of the idea, you know, a lot of the wives were given as, or women were given as wives to people they didn't even know. They didn't necessarily love them. So it, it's not unusual. I don't see it real unusual, the situation here. You know, he, he saw her, he, he took her by force, and then, well, I kind of like her. I think I'll keep her. Yeah. Uh, so, it's, you know, not, I don't know that that's, it's it, like when, when they went and got the wife for Isaac, you know, you know, never saw her or you know, bring her back and you're going to be the wife of this. But at least she can say yes or no. Yeah. I mean, that's better than here. But there's, a, there's other times where. Right. Others are given, right. taken, whatever. Sure. Like when they took wives for the Benjamin, Benjamin. Oh yeah, that one especially. <laughs> yeah. To grab them. how old, old she would be. If if the order is chronological, she was the second youngest of all the eleven or the eleven brothers right now. The one thing we don't know is how much time is passing in Seketh and Shechem. That's true too. But I still, I mean, she couldn't be that old because like you'd have I mean let's see what do we decide Jacob's 97 when he comes back and he's 130 when he goes to Egypt so I mean he's back before he goes to Egypt for 33 years now if this happened before Joseph was sent off that was 20 years before he goes back to Egypt himself so that put us 13, 13 years, years. And she would have been at minimum six years old when he came here. Right. When he, when he met Esau. Perhaps so. So, you know, maybe 20 or 18 or 20 or something like that, maybe. I was going to say, this note says that she was about 14 or 15 at this time. Okay. And they also say that, you know, they spent 10 years in Seketh and all that. But yeah, they're real firm about these things. <laughs> Well, um, so have, a, have a grain of salt. So. She would be younger because when Joseph goes off to Egypt, he'd be like 17, 19 maybe. And 17. And he's older than her, right? Not, not, no, no, not, like not, not, not in the, the other way. one is chronological. She was born before Joseph. In 30... 3021, 20, and then Joseph is 3024. But so that's not necessarily. Well, it's not necessarily chronological. So. Right. Yeah. Right. You know, to me, there's a practical point in this one. It talks about Dinah going out to view the women of the land. Um, you know, it almost seems a curiosity thing. You know, the old saying, curiosity killed the cat. I mean, think about how many times young people have gotten caught up, and we've, oh, maybe not just young people, but. Think about how often we're, we're curious. We just want to try something. We just want to try for a little. We just want to maybe see what that's like and how much how much detriment that's brought to our lives just by trying things, by being curious. And it's destroyed many people. I mean, um, look at Proverbs and the woman who caught the the young man. And of course, I mean, again, he's he's just a simpleton. But you know how many times we've done those things and it's just ruined us. We need to watch where we're at. You know, being in the wrong spot will really have a negative impact on us. Good point. Other thoughts? Clint? Uh, I guess this sort of goes back just a tad, but um, 
Well, I had a footnote here that said something along the lines of that he recognized that he returned to fulfill the covenant of the promise, which we mentioned in 28, and said that he erected an altar, just in, like in verse 20 of chapter 33. And so I was wondering, uh, and I was looking back in, in chapter 28 uh, about the covenant that was made, and God said, I'll bring you again to this land. So did he mean the land in general, or did he mean Bethel specifically? I think that verse 28-22, this stone which I've set up as a pillar will be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will surely give a tenth to you. I think it implies he'll come back there. Okay. Because in 15, God said, Behold, I am with you and will keep you in all the places that you're going, and I will bring you again to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done that which is which I've spoken to you of, so I don't know if that... Yeah. Perhaps, but I'm... My my thinking is that he was supposed to go back to Bethel, or that he was committing himself to do that. Okay. Other questions or comments? Alright, well let's pick up another section of, uh, of this and, and keep going with the story. Um, 8 to 17. But Hamor spoke with them, saying, The soul of my son Shechem longs for your daughter. Please give her to him in marriage. And intermarry with us. Give, us. give your daughters to us, and take our daughters for yourselves. Thus you shall live with us, and the land shall be open before you. Live and trade in it, and acquire property in it. Shechem also said to her father and to her brothers, If I find favor in your sight, then I will give whatever you say to me. Ask me ever so much bridal payment and gift, and I will give according as you say to me. But give me the girl in marriage. But Jacob's sons answered Shechem and his father Hamor with deceit, and spoke to them, because he had defiled Dinah their sister. And they said to them, We cannot do this thing, to give our sister to one who is uncircumcised, for that would be a disgrace to us. Only on this condition will we consent to you, if you will become like us, and that every male of you be circumcised. Then we will give our daughters to you, and we will take your daughters for ourselves, and we will live with you and become one people. But if you will not listen to us to be circumcised, then we will take our daughter and go. So, you know, Shechem has talked to his father. Get me this young girl as a wife. You know, I really want her. And, uh, well, does that remind you of anybody? This, in fact, kind of this whole incident reminds me of somebody. Same line. Is it Saul? Samson. Samson. That's who I'm thinking about. Yeah. You know, it's kind of Samson-esque. You know, I, I want her. You know, get her for me. And and sure enough, Hamar's the king, and he's going to talk to the people. And 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 particularly talk with, uh, you know, uh, Jacob's family. What, what do we need to do? We really kind of like to intermarry with you. And, uh, you know, my, my son really would like your daughter, you know, to marry. And we'll do whatever it takes. So he works through his father to negotiate with the family of Jacob to see what kind of conditions need to be set up to where they can just, you know, intermarry and consider each other as sort of compatible clans or, or whatever. And said, well, you know, whatever bridal price you want. You know, I mean, that's Shechem talking uh, to, to Jacob and the brothers. You know, you, you just name the price. I'll, I'll pay it. Whatever. You know, kind of reminds you of Jacob's enthusiasm for Rachel, you know. Uh, people lose their head when they fall in love, you know? <laughs> you know, whatever, I'll do it. So, well, Jacob's sons take the lead in this. And what do they say? We'll prove that they're sons of their father by answering <laughs> deceitfully. They answered deceitfully. Well, what do they say? Yeah, look, we're, we're circumcised. People, we, we could never intermarry with you guys unless you were circumcised. It's almost like they say, well, we could never, ever do that. Unless. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's one thing. There's yeah. one way we could do this if you guys. <laughs> yeah. Now, now, you remember where circumcision came in. 
When, when did we first start talking about circumcision? Abraham. Chapter 17 with Abraham. Whose idea was it? God's. This was a sign of the special agreement that God had with Abraham. So this was like the seal of their covenant. It was a, a very important um, symbol of this special relationship between God and his people. Now you know the rest of the story. Is that what Jacob's sons are thinking? What are they thinking? I, I think they're thinking he's not going to buy this. <laughs> <laughs> that could be. Uh, so they're pretty, uh, they don't understand uh, people. I think they see this as their opportunity. I think they've already figured out. He, they can kill two birds with one stone. They can avenge the violation of their sister Dinah and they can execute revenge against the people around them. Wipe them out. You can get them all to be circumcised at the same time. I had one friend who at 22 was circumcised. That was a very painful thing for him. As you might imagine. And so to me, I think they already had this in mind. I think they've already kind of masterminded their plot and they're using circumcision. After all, they are all circumcised. That is an important sign for them. So it makes sense. It sounds logical. But what's, I mean, besides the fact that's conniving and cruel, what else is so outrageous about this? It's almost blasphemous. Why? Because it's God's sign that they're following God and they're using it for their benefit. It's like taking the ark into battle. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, or almost worse, but yeah, it is. I mean, you take something special God gave you to use as a tool to execute your vengeance against somebody, some other people. That's, that's just really disrespectful to the whole specialness of the, the, the agreement between God and his people that this was supposed to symbolize. Just kind of using, you know, we, we should never use holy things for some personal purpose. So to me, that's what they've, they've got in their mind. And besides that, I don't know about this, but it sure is appropriate. Uh, if you think about it, this was sort of uh, a way of payback. This is kind of making them reap what they sow, if you think about it. Uh, that anatomically. So, you know, you can maybe think that this is kind of their vengeance for what Shechem did to their their sister as well. Uh, so you can see, you know, several themes kind of interwoven with this, but in all of it, you know, very much abusing the sign God gave them. Cameron. Well, now, only two brothers come in later to kill the people. So what were the others thinking? Well, uh, that's a good question. I assume they're in on it. Maybe they don't execute the vengeance, but I'm assuming they're in on the idea. That's what I'm guessing. And this is almost too coincidental for this just to be, oh yeah, while they're circumcised, why don't we kill them? <laughs> no, I think they, they're, they're kind of planning that. Then why wouldn't the other ones join in with the killing? Maybe they didn't need to. How many does it take to kill a bunch of guys who just got circumcised? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> you know, with all that, you still got to admit it was a brilliant plan. <laughs> it, was, it sure took Sheikah by surprise. <laughs> I mean, seriously. Yeah, it was. It was brilliant. <laughs> it, it fit there. They used something that was they could sell it to them very easily because it was true that they were all circumcised. You know, and it's like, well, oh yeah, well that makes sense to us. So they bought it. I wonder how long it took them to come up with that, you know. It was ingenious. It was. Ah. Well, Jesus said that the children, I can't quote exactly, but children of, of the darkness are, are wiser in their generation than the children of light. I mean, people are very inventive when they want to do something that's, right. that's wicked. You're They're very right. creative. These are supposed to be the children of light.
So are we sometime, you know. I don't know that that's ever stated, is it? <laughs> <laughs> Not a whole lot of light in this family. It's <laughs> a pretty dark chat. <laughs> wow. Interesting uh, things to think about. Um, so, I mean, they're saying take it or leave it. You want to intermarry with us, be circumcised, and then we'll intermarry with you. That's what they're saying. You can't imagine. Any, any way you want to take this, you can't imagine that they seriously were intending to intermarry with them. They weren't intending to do that. So I suspect they have this in mind. Yeah, <laughs> the last line is like, you know, this is the only way. Otherwise, we'll take our daughter and go home. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> we'll take our ball and go home. Is yeah, <laughs> yeah. Why did they say daughter if there's a son stopping? Well, Jacob, answering for Jacob, I guess. But yeah, yeah, I know, that's kind of... Well, and the idea they've been talking about, you know, we'll give you our daughters and you give us your daughters, and if not, we'll take our daughter and go. <laughs> Probably just synonymous for women. Like yeah. We'll give you our women. Right. What? Logan. Um, I think it's kind of weird how Laban, he steps up when... Rebecca's asked to be married, and then the brothers step up and do that. Yeah, good point. That's a good connection. That Laban seemed to be more active in letting Rebecca go than maybe even his father did, her father. And these brothers seem to be more active in revenging, avenging the violation of Dinah. Yeah, I don't know. I guess the brothers, you know, are... Protecting their little sister. Yeah. Guess. You almost wonder if, you know, he's thinking, ooh, maybe I don't want her so much, you know, maybe. I don't think so. Yeah. You would, you would think that, but it looks to me like he's just, well, that's all you can think so about. He does really love her. I mean, or care for He really her. wants her. Yeah, let's put it that way. He really wants it, yeah. Yeah, you don't, I mean, you know, it doesn't have to be, you know, like the kind of love we know to really be attracted and really want to have them. I mean, there's, there's lots of reasons to want something. Other thoughts? They don't seem to be quite as selective later when Reuben takes his father's concubine and, and Judah and Tamar have their little... You know, of course, I mean, they're not directly involved, but, you know, I guess there's always been this double standard about, you know, our men, men are macho and women are pretty sleazy, but, I mean, it's definitely a double standard. Yes. Throughout the Old Testament, you know, sexual sin was looked at more in terms of violating somebody's woman than a man playing around. The New Testament, that is not the case. <laughs> you know, it's kind of the step-by-step -step revealing of the will of God. Mm -hmm. Other thoughts? I was, I was thinking about, uh, you know, they would know, presumably they were circumcised as children when they were eight days old. Correct, and, the Israelites, yes. So, but whenever they bought a servant... Or one was born into their house. I mean, then, then they would circumcise them, so they would have a really good idea of the healing timeline and everything. Uh, I mean, and it doesn't quite track. But I had, I thought, you know, how, how could this be a legitimate offer? And the only way I could think of was if the men of Shechem became the slaves of the Israelites then it would be acceptable for this to be, this sign of the covenant to be used on them, mm. so to speak. Mm -hmm. Not exactly what they were thinking. Though. Right. Other thoughts? Well, you guys are too deep for me. <laughs> yeah. Wow. All right, well, let's see what happens here. Uh, 18 to uh, 24. 
Their words pleased Hamor, and Hamor's son Shechem. And the young men did not delay to do the thing, because it, he delighted in Jacob's daughter. Now he was the most honored of his father's of all his father's house. So Hamor and his son Shechem came to the gate of, his, of their city and spoke to the men of their city, saying, These men are at peace with us. Let them dwell in the land and trade in it. For behold, the land is large enough for, for them. Let us take their daughters as wives, and let us give them our daughters. Only on this condition will the men agree to dwell with us, to become one people, when every male among us is circumcised as they are circumcised. Will not their livestock, their property, and all their beasts be ours? Only let us agree with them, and they will dwell with us. And all who went out, all who went out of the gate of his city listened to Hamor and his son Shechem, and every male was circumcised, all who went out of the gate of the city. So, uh, they agree. I mean, Shechem is interesting. Mm -hmm. It's almost like whatever he wants, he gets. Kind of like a spoiled child, it looks to me like. And so, his dad supports him. We'll get everybody on that page, and we'll just have a big circumcision party. You know, and, and, and so he's got, but, I mean, he's got to sell that to the commoners who are going to be suffering. So what's the argument he uses? We'll get their stuff. Yeah, look, we can trade with them and 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 you know uh, have, have transactions you know financially with them and, and you know it'll really be a benefit to us. Look at all all the things they've got that we can have. <laughs> you know, so he's presenting this as economically advantageous to the people of Shechem. What does he not choose to mention? His personal gains. Yes, the fact that he has an interest in Miss Dinah. You know, he just presents, they just, he and his father present this like, you know, this would really be a, a good thing for, for our economy. You know, do it for the economy, guys. And they don't even mention that there's really a whole other reason why they want that done. This is politics. It is. It absolutely is. You know, always thinking about what will sell well. Honesty, no. It's policy. You know, how how can we spin this in a way that people will like it? All the way back in Genesis 34. <laughs> Not all of the uh, men of Shechem would have had an interest in marrying the daughters of <laughs> right. exactly. nation. So that wouldn't have been a, hard, a good selling point for everyone. And I reckon there weren't a whole lot of them yet anyway. Right. So yeah, exactly. They come up with this is, from a worldly standpoint, it's kind of like you were saying, you know, pretty sharp. The children of, of this world, I mean, they, they know what they're doing in terms of their uh, goals. Uh, so, everybody agrees. I mean, they're all all right. And all the males are circumcised. Comments and questions through verse uh, 24. In, in verse 18, this version reads, now their words seemed reasonable to Hammond and Shechem. Uh, and I'm thinking, what? <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> reasonable? <laughs> I don't know about that. But. Yeah. All depends on what you want. You know, when you want something real bad, then everything seems reasonable. You know... You measure no expense, no effort, no humiliation, you know, whatever it takes. Yeah, it's reasonable. Other thoughts? Well, let's look at what happens. 25 to 31. Now it came about on the third day when they were in pain that two of Jacob's sons... Simeon and Levi, Dinah's brothers, each took his sword and came upon the city unawares and killed every male. They killed Hamar and his son Shechem with the edge of the sword and took Dinah from Shechem's house and went forth. Jacob's sons came upon the slain and looted the city because they had defiled their sister. They took their flocks and their herds and their donkeys and that which was in the city and that which was in the field. And they captured and looted all their wealth and all their little ones and their wives, even all that was in the houses. Then Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, You have brought trouble on me by making me odious among the inhabitants of the land, 
among the Canaanites and the Perizzites. And my men, being few in number, they will gather together against me and attack me, and I shall be destroyed, I and my household. But they said, Should he treat our sister as a harlot? Okay. So, on the third day, <coughs> they always say third day after surgery is the worst, don't they? Yeah. So, I mean, maybe that's where the pain would be the greatest and uh, other issues. And so they're in pain, and Simeon and Levi, they just kill them, exterminate them. They're not able to resist. I mean, what do you think about that? Although it's a brilliant plan, that's not fighting fair. You're exactly right. It's dishonorable. Yeah, very. It's barbaric, it's brutal, it's unjust. It's really cowardly almost. Say hit the weak guy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's it's not really playing fair. And you have to wonder if they even really tortured them before they killed them, some of them, to really... I mean, you have to wonder if they really, really got Shechem good just torturing him because there's nothing he could have done. I mean, he would have been in so much pain, he would just probably sit there. So I wonder if they didn't kick him around and... It could be. I mean, they certainly uh, didn't like him for what he had done, so they probably wouldn't have been beyond that. And uh, and they take all their stuff. You know, did you notice that? Verse 29, 28 and 29. It's kind of interesting too, don't you think? Kind of a twist on what the men of Shechem, or at least Hamor, were trying to sell them on that will we'll <laughs> yeah. take theirs, but they yeah. end up, oh, we lost a lot. <laughs> But think about that. Does that call into question a little bit the purity of the vengeance motive? <laughs> it's not a pure motive, but, you know, this is not just 100% vengeance either. They're, they're, they want some of that stuff Shechem has. Yeah. Yeah. You know, wow. This is really warped thinking on their part all the way around and warped behavior. The, you know, they take advantage of this trick to kill them and take all their stuff. Including their wives. Yes. And children. Yes. You can take our daughters. <laughs> we'll take your daughters, but you ain't taking any of ours. <laughs> yeah. These are Jacob's sons. This is horrifying. Look at the cruelty, the injustice, the dishonesty. And so what does Jacob say to him? You got me in trouble. Yeah, you caused me a headache. You know, look at what, what's going to happen to me now. You made me stink before all these people. What do you think about that response on Jacob's part? He doesn't care what God thinks about him right here. He thinks what the people around think about him. Yes. He's angry for the wrong reasons. Yes, exactly. Not because it was wrong, but because it'll have bad complications for me. Mm -hmm. You know, he's thinking more tactically than ethically. I mean, what if, what if it hadn't created any problems for him? Would it have been okay with it then? The implication is it would have been okay, except, man, now you put us in a pickle. So, that's just really of concern to me. Uh, it makes me think that Jacob is more motivated by selfishness and by political considerations than he is by honor and righteousness. He's just worried they'll gang up on him rather than saying, son, you did the wrong thing before God. Comments and thoughts on that? Logan. Oh, it said that the people would come up against him when they killed all the people from Shechem. Well, I think he means other people around them. Oh. You know, he says uh, among the Canaanites and the Perizzites in verse 30. So you're imagining that there were some kinships or at least friendships, alliances with the other nations around there and that they're liable to retaliate. Because they don't want Jacob coming in and destroying them. 
wasn't that the plan? <laughs> For them to destroy the people of the land? Yeah, and, and see, Jacob wouldn't have known when this was going to take place. God says, I'm going to give you this land that he's in right now. Yeah, it was, certainly was ultimately the plan, probably not yet, but... And, I mean, how, how do you, you know, weigh the difference then later they come in, they trick the nations, they kill them, they take all their stuff, they take their women and children. You, you see what I'm saying? Even when God is directing them to do that. Well, of course, a lot depends on God directing us. Right. Um, and I don't know that they did this in those situations. It seems to me like... The, the legitimate battles they fought when they entered and conquered the land were God's judgments on those nations for their wickedness. It wasn't their vengeance. Right. They were executing God's vengeance. And God has the right. I mean, they're his creatures. He is a just God. And he can use other people to execute his judgment. That's certainly not what they're doing here. Clint? Up to this point, God hasn't told... Jacob and his family to start killing all these nations. Right. right. Yeah, I think not. I mean, you know, he had implied to uh, to Abraham in Genesis 15 that the iniquity of the Amorite wasn't full yet, and they were going to have to go down and be enslaved in this other nation. So when then they'd come out and they they conquer the land. Yes, Cass. I would really like to see Jacob's uh, response to what they say in verse 31. Yeah, yeah. What's their answer? Should he treat her like a harlot? But you would think what he would have to say to that. Right? You think it'd be a little awkward for him, right there? Like, what do I say now? Yeah. Well, it's like, does that really justify it? Well, should he have treated our sister like a harlot? Well, no. <laughs> you know, we we will use other people's sins to justify all kinds of things on our part, and that's not legitimate. Just because he did wrong doesn't justify me in doing wrong. You know, the two wrongs don't make a right. You know, whatever. Do we ever learn anything more about Dinah other than she went down to Egypt with him? Yeah, I don't know anything more. Cause, I mean, I found it interesting. They took her back. But, I mean. Yeah, she apparently had been sequestered in Shechem's house or... Maybe she stayed voluntarily. I don't really know what she was thinking. I mean, it, this chapter presents her so impersonally, yeah. it's almost like the object Shechem had treated her as. Because yeah. we really don't have any idea where she's at in this. Yeah, she doesn't seem to be running away from this situation. <laughs> Maybe not. That may be worrisome, too. If you had six older brothers, you know. <laughs> 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 Now, do you know how this event affected Simeon and Levi's future? Yes. What happened? They were passed over for the birthright and the blessing. Yes. And they were also, part of the, the blessing that was given by Jacob to them was that basically they would be scattered throughout the land. Mm -hmm. And so... In Levi's case, they weren't given a portion of the land, but they were scattered through the 48 cities of the Levites. And then with Simeon, the tribe of Benjamin, they were surrounded by the tribe of Benjamin. And so essentially... Judah. Judah, there we go. And I knew that wasn't right. Um, and sort of ended up being dispersed among them. Just had a handful of cities inside of Judah. Yeah, exactly. You know, they were... So, well, let's ask. Simeon and Levi were sons number what and what? Two and three. Two and three. Son one missed out on any blessing because of what will happen in the next chapter as he takes his father's concubines. Now two and three are excluded from that blessing because of this incident. It goes down to son number four to receive the blessing. Who was that? Judah. Judah, yeah. And... Jacob says in chapter 49 that they would be scattered. They wouldn't have a territorial inheritance. As it turned out with Levi, that's because they're scattered among the other tribes to teach them. But in terms of Simeon, he just receives a few cities inside of Judah, and that's it. So 
what Jacob said really comes true. Comments and questions on this chapter? Okay. All right, chapter 35, verses 1 to 4. And God said to Jacob, Arise, go up to Bethel, and dwell there, and make an altar there to, to God who appeared to you when you fled from the face of Esau, your brother. And Jacob said to his household, and to all who were with him, Put away the foreign gods that are among you, purify yourselves, and change your garments. Then let us arise and go up to Bethel, and I will make an altar there to God, who answered me in the day of my distress, and has been with me in the way which I have gone. So they gave Jacob all the foreign gods which were in their hands, and the earrings which were in their ears, and Jacob hid them under the terebinth tree, which was at Shechem, which was by Shechem. Okay, so God tells Jacob to do what? Go to Bethel. Go to Bethel, live there, and make an altar to God, uh, the God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. I, as I've suggested, I think he should have already been there, and God has to prod him. Um, but what does he tell his family to do? Get rid of the idols. Yes. Because they're going to be going up to the house of God, making an altar to God, and idols would not be compatible with the exclusive allegiance that God's covenant expects us to have to, to, to him. You know, you can't be serving other gods and still properly worship the Lord God. And so that's what they do. They give Jacob their foreign gods and the rings. And what does Jacob do with these foreign gods? He hides them. Yeah, meaning what? Probably. Buries. Yeah, he buries them. So we're finding out a lot in this book about what can happen to gods. You know, gods can be stolen, sat on, you know, cushion a uh, woman's... Uh, cycle and be buried you know they, I'll tell you they're practical aren't they Use, useful for lots of stuff <laughs> no. but don't seem very able to defend themselves so but that prepares them and, and now they're able to properly go up before God and, and worship him Again, it makes you think that he's not really dealt sufficiently with his relationship with God up until this point. Why do they still have these idols if he had? Yes? And these idols, we're assuming that part of them are probably the ones that Rachel was sitting on. May have been. And then perhaps some of the others came when they were looting... Shechem? I don't know. I was thinking, you know, probably got a few there too. I'm assuming they have. Let's do ourselves a good God. Yeah. <laughs> well, God nap him. Yeah. Guess. Why did he have the? Why did he hide the earrings too? I don't really know. They worship the earrings. Uh, possibly, or they could have represent luxury of some sort. Chris. I wonder if he made a map, a treasure map, and marked the spot. <laughs> <laughs> so what difference is Bethel? I mean, he made an altar back in 33. Yeah, well. He erected there an altar. I wonder if he'd given the tenth yet. He just, you know, he'll do things like that, and then you come to the next section, and yeah. they have all these gods. It's yeah. like all these idols. What is, what is going on here? Isn't that the way we are? You know, one of the... I've been thinking about this a little bit more recently. And, and one of the things that I, I think is so true is that often when we are in sin, we split ourselves into two people. And on the one hand, oh, we really worship God and we love God and we're devoted to God and we have great emotion for God and, you know, all this sort of... And, and the other self is engaged in some hidden sinful practices and things like that. But, but we kind of just sort of ignore this half when we put on our spiritual half. 
and and it's like how could you do both things it, it it doesn't make sense because they're not compatible so if we can split ourselves then it, it seems like we can be very sincere about the Lord and very wrapped up in some sinful activity and you know what we really need to do is become one person we need to give our whole self to the Lord in every aspect of our life, even in every detail of our everyday life. You know, God's to be our Lord and we're to be who we really are instead of trying to split ourselves in some way. So it is troubling that Jacob can build altars and worship God, and yet there's still these idols in his family. You know, that, and that would make I'm sorry. You're, you're good. Sorry. Um, that would make sense in the, you know, think about sometimes people obey the gospel and, and they just seem very devoted and they hit the ground running. Okay, and there's others that I mean for a lifetime seem like they struggle and they struggle and they struggle and they struggle. and you think what is the difference between these two people? Why do we see that? And yet I think that might that that would definitely answer why we continue to struggle for a lifetime with things that we sh probably should have left behind a long time ago. Yes. Cass? Um, why do you think he asked them to change their clothes? you think they didn't smell good? Like, <laughs> they needed a shower or something? Uh, well, maybe it's the idea of just, you know, a fresh start to give ourselves <laughs> new to God. I mean, you know, we become new creatures. This seems to be like kind of a rededication of themselves to God. You know, like they haven't really been so concerned about God, but now we're going to go to Bethel and, and let's, you know, put on fresh clothes and get rid of all the idols and we're going to really serve him now. And, so, and you, you've also got the later on when the law is given where you have the Levites changing clothes before they go and minister and, and other signs, whenever they are cleansing themselves for whatever reason, a lot of times it involves changing their clothes. Literally. Sure, sure. Makes sense, in fact. I don't know what you mean by that. <laughs> changing clothes, what is that? Yeah, just How does that make you clean? I don't yeah, I don't get it. Because <laughs> <laughs> I got big clumps of grease on <laughs> Well, uh, you uh, try it sometime. <laughs> <laughs> oh no. <laughs> Other thoughts? Quick, quick. We were talking about earlier about uh, you know part of his covenant was to go back to Bethel if that was the understanding of it, and it's interesting that God reminds him of that covenant. He said you need to go to Bethel. They need to make an altar, and you know so often when when we sin. And, you know, God reminds us of our covenant with Him, you know, at least on a weekly basis if we're going uh, to worship Him. And so, uh, I don't know, sometimes having that reminder is, uh, I mean, I, it, it is really helpful to redirect your focus and your, your mind, uh, especially if you struggle throughout the week. Mm -hmm. Other thoughts? Is, is there another place where God tells somebody to make an altar uh, up to this point? Uh, uh, we've, we've seen Abraham uh, building all Not that I remember. Other than offering his son. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I guess in a way that yeah. was. Yeah. Was it Cain and Abel, or was that just a sacrifice he told him to make? Well, we don't really see him telling them to make it, yeah. although we assume right. he did. Other thoughts, questions, comments on this? There were, in verse 3, um, God is described as the God who answered me in the day of my distress and the God who has been with me wherever I have, I have gone. I just found that kind of interesting that you know, he, he's acknowledging that God has been with him this whole time even though he didn't always acknowledge God yes. at the time. Yes, looking back, he sees that. Yes. The older he gets, the more sincere he seems to about uh, when he says that. Yes. Uh, I agree with that, that. He says that uh, later on, especially in chapters 48 and 49. Mm-hmm. 
about five to eight. As they journeyed, there was a great terror upon the cities which were around them, and they did not pursue the sons of Jacob. So Jacob came to Luz, that is Bethel, which is in the land of Canaan, he and all the people who were with him. He built an altar there and called the place El Bethel, because there God had revealed himself to him when he fled from his brother. Now Deborah, Rebekah's nurse, died, and she was buried below Bethel, under the oak. It was named Alon Bacoth. So, as they journey, this terror God puts on the cities around them enables them to journey securely without being attacked. We kind of foreshadows the terror that comes on the inhabitants of the land when they invade the land later uh, under the leadership of Joshua. So they're able to come to Luz, Bethel, remember the two names for that city, and he builds the altar uh, because God, you know, uh, had, had revealed to what he, he did when he was fleeing earlier. And then Deborah, Rebecca's nurse, dies, which is probably an emotional moment for him. May have been a little bit like his mother dying because the nurse may have really taken care of him a lot. This is not the only death that we're going to see in this chapter. But. All right, comments or questions through verse 8? Yeah, Cliff. Just had a question. Since we've been saying judges, would this have been the same place they were destroyed and then the guy went and rebuilt the city in chapter I two? assume so. Yeah, chapter Judges two. 1, 22 to 26. Or, yeah. 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 Other questions or comments? They called the place God, House of God. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Seems kind of redundant, right? Yeah, I guess so. God of the House of God. Yeah. It's like Christ, Church of Christ. <laughs> <laughs> so, what contact did Jacob have with Deborah? I mean, when I would assume that he got in contact with her when he back, got back into the land. That's what I'm guessing. Other thoughts? Alright, well why don't we stop here then and be ready for 35.9 and I think I'll be able to be here on May the 12th. That's not an absolute certainty. But we'll angle for that, and I'll let you know. I get back on the tenth, and uh, we're going. I think we're going to end up going, not going to the camp meeting, and going to Andrew Shearer's wedding. It's that same day. So I hate that, but so we may go down to Alabama before that. So I'm, I imagine we'll <coughs> go on Friday morning. But, but for now, we'll say the twelfth. And I'll miss you guys. It's been uh, a lot of fun studying this. But you'll be here tomorrow. I'll be yeah. I'll be here.